Thanks, Rob, our family. Um, now, I love doing this. I love preaching. It's one of my favorite things to do here at the Church to Serve. Um, good if you don't know me, my name is Jerome Douglas. I want to be interns here at CCPC. Um, man, as I, as I made up so saying earlier, every time I do this, I, I feel honored and privileged to, to come before God's people to share His Word, but I also take this very seriously. I, I put a lot of prep into this. I read a lot, a lot of material. Um, and my only ask of you in this time is to sort of honor that that, that, that same input I put in there and, and give it back to me about listening and engage with me. Um, I do have a problem, though. I have a 50-minute sermon for 40-minute people who actually want to hear a 30-minute discussion, right? So this is probably the longest sermon I've ever preached, so bear with me. Give me like 10 more minutes. Is that cool? All right, appreciate y'all. Um, for our discussion today, or for, for our text today, we'll be in Psalm chapter 23. I'll give you some time to turn there. Um, a little bit different, I will be reading from the NLT version today. Uh-oh. NLT version. We had a running joke in, in school that um, if you ever talk bad about the guest be, then the electrician, the electric will go off. And it went off many a times. It's funny. Um, man, what I love about our church is that for... for for some of you, this will be the first time you've ever even you've read or even heard a sermon on Psalm 23. But for many of you, this is like the hundredth time you've probably heard a sermon on Psalm 23. And what they tell young preachers is that, man, the hardest text you will preach is the ones that are most familiar. Because they, people expect something new. So I'm going to disappoint you. You're not going to get anything new today. You're going to get the bare bones of what, what God has to say in this song. Um... But that's okay, though, man. I think, I think it's okay for us to be in this, sort of, this mixed company of, of newcomers or, or new-timers or mini-timers. And I think the, the, the one message that all of us are going to hear today, despite the fact that this directly from the text, is simply, the Lord is your shepherd. Or should I say, the Lord is still your shepherd. And I think this is good for us to hear today because I, I mean, we, we have a lot of fears, as Robert brought up. We, we, we are extremely overwhelmed with trouble. And, I, and my hope today is to, to have you leave sort of cherished by the shepherd, but also challenged to have trust in the shepherd despite you having fear. So with that, let me read the Psalm 23. I'm reading from the NLT again. And I have a particular reason why I'm doing this. If you want to know more about that, come talk to me about it. Talk to me after the service. It has more to do with structure than with content. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He leads me, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and mercy or unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in front of your people. I do pray, Father, that you will help us to see today. That through your Holy Spirit, you will help us to meditate on your works of salvation. You will help us to remember your unfailing love and all the wonderful deeds towards us. 
I ask that you protect us from our sin and its distraction. I ask you to protect us from Satan and his attempt to steal, kill, and destroy our faith. Rather, Lord, may you help us to see and understand what, what your word says, to believe your word in our hearts and to bear fruit in our lives. Again, Lord, as my brother Roberts prayed and many have prayed before me, Lord, would you anoint me with your Holy Spirit to preach your good word to your wonderful people. In the name of Christ, in my prayer. And if you, if, if you know me, um, you know I have my beautiful wife of almost nine years, Annalise, or should I Dr. Annalise Douglas. Um, and then we have our almost two-year-old, December. And if you know December at all, man, she is so afraid of water. I don't know, I don't know why. We love swimming. I love swimming. But this girl is afraid of particularly large bodies of water. I mean, the pool, we were at the ocean a few weeks ago, and she's like, not having it. So we were at the Mancini's a few weeks back, and you guys probably remember this. She's in the water with me. I'm holding her, and while Ivy, Eloise, and all the other kids are like swimming and splashing, the Simmer's like, all done, all done, all done, all done. I'm like, Simmer's gonna be okay. But that's her way of saying, like, Daddy, I'm done. Get me out of this water. I'm afraid, right? And I think most of us, most of us like say, like, okay, you you laugh at that because you understand that like she's overreacting, like. She's literally in my arms, right? Like, I, I would die before I let her drown. And yet she is still afraid. And I think most of us, you guys can see where I'm going with this, right? That many of us allow our problems to sort of act in that same way. Where we, we can look at, say, our problems and, and allow those things to overwhelm us. Look at our troubles and allow those things to sort of feel big to us. And they overwhelm us. And, they, and, they, and we lose sight of God in, in, that, in, that, in that moment, despite the fact he's close to us and holding us. Like I one person says that pain has a unique way of clouding our vision, making it hard for us to see God. We, we, we forget that God is guiding us and always with us and protecting us. I feel like fear has a, has a way or sometimes our circumstances feel bigger than God. And we feel like God has sort of let us go or, or left us behind. And that's not the case. Like another person points out that this is actually one of Satan's strategies, his tactics. The devil wishes to keep Christians in a sad, doubting, questioning, and uncomfortable condition, he says. But the psalmist reminds us today that this isn't God's style. Like, he doesn't just, he don't roll like that. Like, God has really real care for us. That this psalm will remind us that the Lord is our shepherd. And David says this means three things. The Lord is your God, the Lord is your companion, and the Lord is your host. And of course, that's my direction for us today. That if you were taking notes, here's the, the big idea is that the Lord is your shepherd, do not be afraid. The Lord is your shepherd, do not be afraid. And that shepherding means that the Lord is your God, the Lord is your companion, and the Lord is your host. So instead of fear, the psalmist calls, up, calls our attention to the nature and character of God. He, he unpacks for us what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. First, we see that David reminds us to, to build our confidence by recalling the Lord's leadership. That because the Lord is your God, do not be afraid. Because the Lord is your God, do not be afraid. I think it's important for us, though, before we hop into Psalm 23, is to, to, take, to take consideration of, of the context of this psalm. 
Uh, contrary to popular belief, the songs aren't sort of arbitrarily like just thrown in the book. Like there's a rhythm, there's a method, there's a purpose for the way the songs are organized. And I think the context of the song gives us great insight to what's happening in Psalm 23. Take, for instance, what's happening in Psalm 22. When we, we read that earlier, right? Rob did a great job reading that earlier. The psalmist sort of starts out with worry. He feels defeated. He says things like, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I am a worm, not a man. All that troubles surrounds me. No one can help me. My enemy is overwhelming me. My heart is melting. My bones are dry. God, you have left me to die. I'm calling to you, but you aren't answering me. Now, this, 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 there's a lot more to Psalm 22, especially towards the end, but at least in the first part of it, at least three quarters of this psalm feels like a lamentation, right? That, that most of the psalm, the psalmist is crying. He's mourning over his circumstances. And this is why, I, this is why I've, I've, I've been meditating on this psalm for like six, eight weeks. Uh, part of it was for school. But I've, I've, I've fallen in love with this psalm in particular and the other psalms that follow it because... Man, this is one of the places where the psalmist gets real. Like, the psalmist is, like, down to earth in a way, right? Because like, I think all of us can relate to these feelings either now or in a moment before. We know what it's like to someone, like, pound our fists and gets heaven and say, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? I have nobody to help me. Like, you must not care about me because I'm praying and you haven't helped me. I have no relief. Psalmist is keeping it real. Yet yeah, towards the end of Psalm 22, things are somewhat, somewhat looking up. Right? The psalmist begins to build, build confidence and, and declare great things all about God. He says, God, because you, you're going to do all these great things about our circumstances, man, I, I will praise you. Not only will I praise you, those who fear you will praise you. And not only will those who fear you praise you, the whole world will praise you. If you look at Psalm 22, 23, and 24, it, it feels like a long song in some, in some regards. And in this, in the end of this song is like a crescendo. It's like building up. Or like, if you think about a story, like the rising action. It's sort of like building us up. And then we get to 23. And I think, and then I think Psalm 23 is like the climax of this long song, so to speak. And it's in verse 1 of Psalm 23 that we get the climax of the song. is praise, is hope. His confidence, his joy, his fight, all of his faith is sort of packed into this first verse. And what does he say? We all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, maybe you've heard this in another sermon, but I think for m most of you, the idea of the Lord being your shepherd probably is lost on you. You have no idea the significance of the Lord being a shepherd. And I think part of it is because ain't none of us herding sheep. Now, none of y'all know anybody who does, right? Which is cool. But during this time, during biblical times, shepherds were extremely important to, I would say, the economy. And their, their main task was, of course, taking care of the sheep. And sheep were totally, totally dependent upon the shepherd for protection, provision, guidance, and everything they need. In fact, a sheep had very little chance of surviving without the shepherd. So I was sort of thinking, like, man, but how can I still, I want to, I want to modernize this. I feel like this still doesn't, like, ring, people doesn't, like, really get it. So the only example I can come up with is how people in America 
to their domestic animals. In other words, the Lord is your shepherd. Shepherd is almost like a dog mom, in a sense. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, dog moms do everything for their babies, right? They give them real human names. They put them in strollers. If you ever go to the airport and see dogs in, like, little carry-on bags, it's the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> they cook them three-course meals. Like, when a family adopts a new dog, well, if takes an adult, they call it adoption, right? Like, like it's a child. I think one, one organization says that 80% of U.S. families consider dogs to be a part of their family. Like, there, there's, there's eight times more foster dog parents than there are foster kid parents. I know that's a, that's a sad statistic, but I think in some way you guys understand, we all understand what the heart of a shepherd looks like because we, we know what it's like to take care of something that is less vulnerable, I mean, that is vulnerable, right, that, that needs help. So, so David in this song so uses this amazing statement in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, and he tells us all that we need to know already about who the Lord is. But then the second verse, or the second line, kind of unpacks what he means by that. And if you are, maybe you aren't familiar with, um, you know, Hebrew poetry, which is fine. But typically, when you go from one line to the next, the psalmist is unpacking or explaining further what he said in the first song. And then groups of, groups of lines have one idea. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he tells us what that means in that second part. I have all that I need, he says. I, I shall not want. So just as the shepherd takes care of his sheep, or a dog mom takes care of her babies, the Lord takes care of me. The Lord makes sure that, makes sure that I'm good. And again, who is the Lord? Well, we learn in Psalm 22 that the Lord is the one who rules the nations. He's the one who's strong and, and, and able to rescue. He's the one who's righteous. He's the one whom all the universe will bow before. This is why in verses 2 to 3, he can write, Let me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths or to righteousness, bringing honor to his name. So again, like, let's not forget the backdrop of this song, right? David is facing trouble, and we, we get that a lot of that from Psalm 22. And in facing this trouble, he sort of becomes weak, tired, and worn out. Yet... But the Lord is his shepherd. He's, he understands that he's being guided. And, so, and, 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 the, and this particular guiding, guiding that the shepherd is doing is, is, particularly in this season of trouble, he's guiding him to all that he needs for this season of trouble. Rest in peace in verse 2. Restoration and strength in the beginning of verse 3. And not only is the Lord renewing him, but the shepherd is leading him along right paths. Or righteousness. Now, why does the psalmist need this? Why does the psalmist need to be led to righteousness or right paths in the season of trouble? It's, it's like when one commentator says that. This, I, I think I think this is true. He says that this psalm is not only talking about physical and psychological needs, but also internal needs. In a sense, I think this is because sometimes trouble or suffering that we experience isn't just from what happens outside, but what happens inside of us. That our hearts and our minds and our souls are often afflicted by the sin that we indulge in. 
I think if we're honest, you and your sin have probably caused more damage to you and your family and your community than anything else has. And so what does they remember in this time? He said, okay, the Lord is my shepherd, not just guiding me physically, but also guiding me internally. He's guiding my heart too, away from righteousness and into righteousness. So, 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 what, so what do we glean from, from David in this moment, right? And, and these in these first few verses, that, that if we're going to say goodbye to fear, and we're going to say hello to confidence or faith, we must first remember that the Lord is our shepherd. And that is on the one hand, it's, it's to recognize that, that God is our Lord. And of course, every time you see that, that word Lord pop up in scripture, you also think about God's covenant. It's, 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 God's, it's a representation of God's unbreakable bond with his people. And his bond is so strong, just so you know, that God has promised that he will cease being God before that bond is broken. On the other hand, it tells us that God is our shepherd, of course, right? That he's the one who provides us all, all, we, all that we need, particularly in a season of trouble. Or, or to put it in another way, that without God, you won't survive life. This section particularly highlights how God establishes your path, giving you rest and peace and strength in the face of trouble. So if I may... Because I know you are. You're my family. I know many of you are wrestling. I know many of you are facing trouble. I know life is hard right now. And if I could, may I plead with you to trust him? Can I, can I plead with you to run to him? To put your arms around? Or at least embrace the embrace he's already given you. I urge you to go find him. I urge you to run to him. Because he's your shepherd. Don't allow trouble to scramble your sight or to mess up your memory, causing you to be afraid of the fact you can't find God. Rather, let, the, let this psalm, rely on this psalm to, to, to help you remember that he's your shepherd and he's guiding you to what you need even when it doesn't feel like it. And of course, I think the only way that we, we stay to remember, I think the only way we remember this well is to keep our faith before God's word, to keep his truth, to, to abide in his truth. The second thing that we learn from this section is that if God is our shepherd, that means that we are his sheep. And like sheep, we're vulnerable. We're helpless, we're weak and defenseless, we're lost and needy. Alone, we don't stand a chance against our enemy, especially our sins. So, like sheep, we need guidance. We need help to follow the right path or to do the right thing. So when temptation is overwhelming and, and sin is calling your name or or faithlessness is calling your name or fear is calling your name remember that the Lord is your shepherd and that he's guiding you 
Lord teaches us that in these, first, in these few verses that for him to be our shepherd is for him to be our God. And since the Lord is our God, we should not be afraid. But that's not it. David expounds more. Next we see that David reminds us to build our confidence by recalling the Lord's nearness. That because the Lord is your companion, do not be afraid. Because the Lord is your companion, do not be afraid. I think these next few verses are just as famous as the first verse. Right? And I think that's what the reason, because, these, again, these verses have a lot packed into them. Like, like it's just stuffed in there. <laughs> so it's good for us to notice it and memorize it. So this is what David says. He has, David has hardship on his heels. He is suffering in his surroundings. And David says this. Again, I'm reading from NLT. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, there's a few things I want us to notice about this, this, this verse. First, as I mentioned earlier, the psalmist is a shy away from being honest and from being real. He calls this place that he's in dark, a deep valley. DSV does a great job and said this is, it's, it's the valley of the shadow of death. And in Psalm 22, he describes how he feels in this place, alone, abandoned, forgotten, helpless, weak, broken, near death. Or if I can put it into simple terms, I'm not sure how long I'm going to make it. Things are just too hard. And then can I, if I can... If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm sure everyone in the room raise their hand. Like, how many of us have been here? Right? As a church, we've experienced death of loved ones, miscarriages, long-term sicknesses, lost opportunities, failed relationships, hurt and pain from those closest to us, the gripping power of sin, the overwhelming feeling of depression and anxiety, and this goes on. We know what it's like to feel what the psalmist is feeling, man. Like times are deep, dark. I'm in the valley. So yeah, we know what it's like. He know what it's like. He says, God, man, every night, every night I'm praying. And I'm asking you for help. But I find no relief. And I do, want to, I do want to pause here and say just a few words about suffering and troubles and trials. I don't want to pretend or act like I know why those things happen. None of us do. Like, a, like how the author of the book, Why Do I Suffer? He, the, the book titled, Why Do I Suffer? says this when it opens. To be honest, there is much of our sufferings that we do not understand and we cannot understand. And like the author, I also want to admit that I also I realize this answer isn't, in many ways, isn't satisfactory. Like you, that's not what you want to hear. Like, bro, tell me, tell me why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? God and his wisdom doesn't disclose to, to me, to anyone, why we go through our specific problems. 
But here's what I can do. Here's what we all can do when our fellow brothers and sisters are experiencing pain or, or going through trials. I can cry with you. I can hug you. I can bear your burdens, as Paul tells the church to do. And just before anxiety sets in, just before fear begins to kick you or pursue you, we, us, can find solace in the same way that David does. God, you are close beside me. So, of course, this is the second thing I wanted to know about this verse is that while David is fully aware of his circumstances and how hard things actually are, he resolves, I will not be afraid. I will fear no evil. And why? It's not because he's figured out what's going on or he's figured out um, why things are happening to him. He's just as oblivious to God's design for suffering as we are. But it's for one simple reason. It's because the Lord is his shepherd. And the Lord being his shepherd means that the Lord is his companion. That God is both in front of us guiding us, but at the same time alongside us escorting us. This one commentary puts it. So yes, God is, God is, God is right there preserving you. Comforting you, guiding you, sanctifying you, molding you, building you up. And yes, as we read from the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, God is still in control. I know many of us have, have jumped straight out with this, but this is good to know. This is good to say that God does work all things out. For the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And that, yes, we should rejoice when we run into problems and trials. We know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance helps us develop strength and character. And character reminds us of our confidence, um, and character strengthens our confidence of hope and salvation. These are all the things that God is doing while he's right there beside us, escorting us. So this, this good, so to speak, is what I believe the psalmist is sort of getting at in the second half of the verse. Your rod, your rod, and your staff is comforting me. Comforting me. And yes, your rod is his pastor. <laughs> one of the one of the um, one of the things the shepherds had during that time were, were instruments, wooden instruments, to help guide the sheep, discipline the sheep keep the sheep from going away, but also to defend the sheep from any, any threats, rod and staff. So David highlights through this analogy that God is present in this time of need as his companion, but guess what? He's also armed. That the Lord's weapons are protecting the psalmist from being destroyed. And at the same time, providing the psalmist with a sense of comfort, knowing that nothing can destroy him. It's the, it's the confidence that we recite often that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And no threat will take you out. Why? Because the Lord is on your side. And again, the, who the Lord is might be lost in you. But what we learned from Psalm 24 is we read that he's the Lord, king of glory, strong and mighty, invincible in battle. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He holds the future in all time in his hands. 
So if I can use my imagination, I can I can picture David remembering all this despite his trouble. So sort of lifting up his head, poking out his chest, looking at his problems, his suffering, his trials, his evil, right there in the eye, and saying, I will not be afraid of you. I will not fear you. And it's not because I know everything that's going on or how long things will last, but it's for one simple reason, that God is with us. No matter the circumstances, no matter the trial, no matter the time, God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. This is the great promise of Scripture, is it not? That we get God. That when your hope and trust is found in the Son of God for salvation, God gifts you Himself. So that when you're making it through life, filled with all kinds of evils and devils, you may know that God is right there, preserving you, protecting you, guiding you, sanctifying you, molding you, building you up for your glory. For his glory ultimately, but also so that you might be glorified as well. That your glory brings him glory. Satan would have it no other way but for you to be afraid, anxious, and in despair. He will have you minding your sin more than your Savior. He will have you minding your suffering more than your Savior. But the remedy to this demonic ploy is to keep your eye on the promises of God. That he is with you. The word says in Isaiah chapter 41, 10, and we saw this earlier. Fear not, for I am with you. In 2 Thessalonians, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. And guard your heart against the evil one. In Joshua 1, 9, do not be afraid, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. And again, I think the only way we remember this is by keeping our faces in front of this truth. So in verse 4, through David, the Lord teaches us to recall his nearness. That because the Lord is your companion, do not be afraid. But David doesn't stop there. He explains shepherding even more. Lastly, we see that David builds up his confidence by recalling the Lord's promise or his hospitality. That because the Lord is your host, do not be afraid. The Lord is your host, do not be afraid. Now we're going to get into what, now, I, I realize that um, I'm reading a different version today, and that's fine, but the reason why I'm reading another two version today is because they treat the entirety of Psalm 23 as one strophe. Maybe you guys don't know what that is, but that's fine. It, it's not, so he's treating it as one big idea, it's centered around one big idea. And that one big idea is the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, many people don't, DSV doesn't agree with this, right? So it, it breaks it up in a way. And I think that's okay. You don't have to. But I think when you disconnect these last few verses, chapter 20, verses 5 through 6, from the rest of the psalm, it may convey, or we may lose an aspect of what shepherding means in biblical times. 
In, in the ancient Near East, kings were also called shepherds. So David rightly describes the Lord as the shepherd king. Time nicely into verse 20, chapter 24. So in verse 5, David says to the shepherd king, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing his language from Tim Keller, by the way. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my hair with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. In the, in the, in the first half of this verse, we, it describes sort of what the Lord is doing for the psalmist. In the second part, um, it describes where the Lord is doing it. You prepare a feast for me, what the Lord is doing. In the presence of my enemies, where the Lord is doing it. It's interesting about this verse is that feast is typically associated with celebration. And these celebrations, if you read throughout the throughout scripture, are, are usually done around friends and family. So it's, it's actually interesting that he goes from being around friends and family to being in the presence of his enemies. This is like a, a complete 180 from where he was before. Right, because remember at one moment his enemy mocked him, overwhelmed him, abused him, robbed him of dignity and value. But now the tables are turned. This is, a, this is sort of a new picture on display. He's no longer sort of under the oppressive thumb of, of, his, of, his, of his enemy. Rather now he's feasting before their eyes. And so what is this a picture of? Victory. Victory. The psalmist is celebrating victory over his enemy as well as in front of his enemy. And we must not lose sight of, of one crucial aspect of this verse is that though this will be a triumphant moment for the psalmist, it won't, not, it, won't, it won't necessarily be accomplished by the psalmist. Do you see in the text how it says that you prepare a feast, you overflow my cup, you anoint my head, your goodness and mercy will follow me, I will be in your house forever? The Lord, his shepherd, the king is responsible for all the psalmist's success. So it's a symbol of his victory, a symbol of their intimate relationship between the psalmist and his shepherd, David, and the Lord. The shepherd king will host David as an honored guest. And as the honored guest, his head is anointed with oil, and his cup is filled to the brim. This, this is a picture of the, of, the, of the best possible way of hospitality. There's food on the table, drink in the cup, adornment for the guests. This is an image of total blessing, total victory, total triumph, and all prepared by the shepherd king. Now, now what is David doing? I think what David is doing is getting a glimpse of the end. That while things may be hard now, things may be frustrating now, things may be perplexing right now, one day... He will be victorious and triumphant. He will be, we will be an honored guest of the king. Like this is our hope. That, that right now, you can look forward to when death dies, sins of size, evil erases, and you will be an honored guest of the shepherd king. Victorious and triumphant over all of your enemies. So with the end in sight, confident in the shepherd guiding him home and escorting him along the way, 
I can imagine him saying, like, this, this can only mean one thing. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And not only that, I will, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. He ends his song with, with confidence. His confidence is, is in what the Lord is doing. That since the Lord is his king and his shepherd, he will receive a steady flow of love and kindness from him. The care of the shepherd will never cease from being with him. But he also has hope in what the Lord will do. Host him for eternity, granting him victory, security, life, prosperity, joy, and peace in the house of the Lord forever. Like, this is what we all have, have to look forward to. So, if we consider verses 5 to 6, if we're going to say goodbye to fear, hello to confidence and faith. We must remember God's plan for the end. John says in Revelation chapter 1 that God himself will be with his people. He will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. All, thing, all old things will be passed away. See, the temptation is to believe that trouble will last forever. Or that there will be no escape from our enemy. That's the, like, that's, 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 that's the complete opposite of the truth. In fact, this, this is what makes us different than the world. I, I was watching a video of, 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 a, of an evangelist, apolog, an apolog, apologist, um, debating with a young lady in the street. And she said, okay, what makes you different from me? Because we both experience suffering. We both go through trials. We both go through, go through hardship. And his, I love his response. And it's what, it's what Paul says, that we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. That what separates us from the world is our hope in the redemption of God. It's our hope in the redemption of God to restore all things and to make all things new. That's what makes us different. That's your hope. That's how you can face tomorrow, as the song says. I think one way we can do this is by attending Sunday worship. As you are here now, from beginning to end, the whole thing, and not because I necessarily want you to be in the seats before service starts, but because from the beginning to the end, we rehearse the gospel story through and through, the whole thing, how things were made right, things were broken, and God's going to make all things new again, how things were in order, things are broken, were broken order, and God's going to reestablish order and make things better. We do that every Sunday. That's how you are reminded to be confident to face today despite your trials. So through David, the Lord teaches us to recall his hospitality. That because the Lord will host us as honored guests, as our shepherd king, that one day your troubles won't be here. Do not be afraid. So in conclusion, I think we all can see how my daughter's reaction to swimming is, is common to us today, right? That we, we, are, we are fearful in the face of our problems. And again, I don't want you to hear me diminishing the pain and the suffering and the trials you experience. I think things are hard. I think the psalmist was right, right? The psalmist said, like, these, these are deep, dark valleys. Feels like death. Like, that's true. And on this side of heaven, on this side of glory, 
Things will be like that. So, instead, I'm, 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 I'm rather trying to encourage you and challenge you, not in what you're experiencing, but how you experience it. How you approach and respond to these moments. We don't... We, these moments that drive us into despair, we, we allow fear and doubt to cloud our judgment and distort our view and, and to grow skeptical of God's word. Yet it's in Psalm 23 where God reminds us to have to place our confidence in him. This is to say that we should remember and recall the Lord is my shepherd. And by shepherd, what, what does the text say? The Lord is our God, guiding us into all that we need and to rest and restoration and to his righteousness. The text explains God to be our companion, walking with us wherever we go, even during life's hard, frustration, frustrating, and perplexing moments. The text explains God to be our host, honoring us with victory over Satan, sin, and death, and also with his presence away from Satan, sin, and death. I want to remind you that we only gain access to all of the benefits to the shepherd king through Christ. For he is the good shepherd. It is only through him that we receive all the benefits that are illustrated and promised in this text. So if you hope and trust in Jesus as the shepherd of your soul and the king of your life, remember all of his benefits. Call your heart. Lift up, O oh, you ancient doors. So that the king of glory may come in. Say goodbye to fear and hello to hope and joy, even in the face of trials. Unfortunately, if your faith is not in Christ, he is not your shepherd. The promises of Psalm 23 are beyond you. You will not stand victorious in the end. You will not live in the house of the Lord forever as a guest. Instead, you are his enemy. But here's the good news of the gospel. That I can change today. At this moment. That whoever believes in Christ Jesus as Lord will be saved. All those who, put their who put, place their trust in Christ will receive all of the saving benefits. For all the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So I plead with you also to trust him, to, to take hold of him, to walk with him. And if that's you, come talk to me after service. We'd love to talk you through that. Talk to one of the elders here. But believer, I tell you again, hope and trust in Jesus as the shepherd of your soul and the king of your life. Remember all of his benefits. When trouble arises and temptation is calling, Speak to your heart, lift up ancient doors so that the King of glory may come in. Say goodbye to fear, hello to hope and joy. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Do not be afraid. Let's pray.